You think about the, uh, never think about the dark side of the moon, how that we are in a space where we can, um, uh, we don't see that side of the moon, do we? We can be outside it today and we can look and we can see, um, you know, the moon at nighttime when it's lit up, we can see the, the lit side of the moon, you know, because that's the side that, that's reflecting back on us. And sometimes if it's a half moon, you can just kind of sort of see the outline of the, but you really don't see the dark side of the moon, right? There is one time, there's one time where we do, the only time that we see the dark side of the moon is when it's between us and the sun, right? When it moves in that space rarely and it's blocking the sun, it's in between us. Then the other side of the moon is still getting all that light, but all we see is, well, the dark side of the moon, right? We are discussing the topic eclipsed for the last many weeks. We've been talking about how we block the light that we are called to reflect, how that we sometimes, instead of being what Jesus told us to be, as we have already studied in Scripture, we're called to be a reflection of his light, like the moon is for the sun, reflecting his light into the dark world so that the world can see his light. But instead of being in a spot where we're in his light and reflecting it, sometimes we get in between people's view of God. We're blocking their view of God by being in the way and eclipsing their view because they think of us, they see us, they know that we claim to be God people, so they look at us and our other issues can block what he's about, his good news, his gospel, his love, his light, and because we're about other things. And we can eclipse that message and block the light we're called to reflect. We've talked about all sorts of things the last many weeks, how we do it with just different areas of life. And every week's different. This is kind of a very heavy series. I appreciate a little bit longer each week than I usually do. Um, this is a very intentional series. We need to do this every once every so many years, I guess, just to kind of come back in and say, let's look at these big ideas here and make sure we're aligned with being on message. So it's a very unique series, and, and we've been covering different topics every week, and today we'll cover a, another one. And just like last week, by the way, we did everything on the front end, the announcements, the songs. So when I'm done preaching, just so you know for the time, when I'm done speaking, we're going to all pray, and we'll have one last song for like three minutes or so, and we're going to be gone. So when I'm done, we're pretty much done for the day at the end of the sermon. But I'm going to take this time, and I'm just going to pour out my heart again on another way, that I, another topic a different topic than before, a different topic than the next couple weeks when we wrap this up, that we can eclipse our main message. One of the dark sides of humanity, especially when you see it rampant in Christianity, is the topic of conspiracy theories. Here we go. You're like, conspiracy theories? Isn't that a movie with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts? I really liked that one. That was fun. Um, but of course, by the way, isn't that funny about movies? Movies really do play well into the, our conspiracy dystopian worldviews, don't they? Uh, we watched a movie last night. Uh, our daughter-in-law-to-be, Carly, her birthday is today. Uh, her and Brett are both playing worship at her church's band uh, locally and um, today. And she's a birthday day. So we watched a movie last night. It was one of those typical dystopian movies, you know, where the, you know, it's all the bad people behind the scenes and fooling everybody and controlling things. We love those kind of movies, don't we? When my kids were little, my other daughter, Jessica, was terrified of the Truman Show. She thought the Truman Show was real life. She's like, they're really watching me. That's me right there, you know? And... Uh, of course, then there's the Matrix, and, you know, it's all a simulation right now. Did you take the red pill yet? I hope you took the red pill. So anyhow, we all have all the, the things, and, and TV and literature can kind of fuel that in us. But the crazy part is, the crazy part is that when it comes to conspiracy theories, sometimes we get them wrapped up into our lives. And conspiracy theories by themselves, look, it's a, it can mean a lot of things. 
a conspiracy. What is a conspiracy? It's when someone conspires. And it could be pretty simple. Okay, it could be your wife conspired to get you to stop wearing that hideous outfit by accidentally ruining it and throwing it away. Whoops, that's a conspiracy, right? She, she did that on purpose. Uh, so conspiracies could be anything from you know, someone conspired at work to take your promotion for themselves, right? I mean, conspiracy is a big word. But any more, the more and more we use it, now that we're connected through technology and the internet, and we can find people in a world of 8 billion people, you can find a very small sliver of people, almost a minuscule number of people, but that could be silly, thousands of people that think like you about something and you find each other and say, so many of us can see it this way, you know, because of our connectivity. And so now the conspiracy theories are bigger than ever and more connected and we're ripe for it. So when I say conspiracy theories, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to classify a lot of our conspiracies into three categories. And I can't, I'd love to give a week to each one of these, but no one wants to t- talk about the subject for more than one week, I hope. So this is just going to be all crammed into one. And I'm going to be hodgepodge all over the place with these things. I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of bounce from one to one and just it's hodgepodge for a while. At the end, we'll see some scripture towards the end today. And we'll go home. But um, conspiracy theories can fit into largely three camps. One of them is political conspiracy theories, which honestly is the bigger ones today. Almost everything has become a political conspiracy theory. That's a big, big category for a lot of people. There's scientific conspiracy theories. You know, they're, they're lying to us. The earth is really flat, don't you know? Or, okay, maybe it's not flat, but we didn't go to the moon for sure. That's crazy, you know? Or, you know, or it's medical. They're all, you know, out to, to, to make us sick and, and uh, control us. So you have, you have science conspiracy theories. You have political conspiracy theories. Sometimes those two overlap. You have um, end times conspiracy theories. And Christian people are ripe for end times conspiracy theories because our book, our sacred book, is at least in part apocalyptic, right? You know, some certain spots. So we're good for those. And again, conspiracies can range from trivial to heartbreaking. So years ago, um, about a decade ago now, a tragedy happened in uh, the Sandy Hook Elementary School where an active shooter came in and killed a bunch of elementary age school children and uh, just another senseless sh- shooting and a tragedy. And immediately, of course, as the nation begins to grieve, people begin to jump onto social media on one side or the other and talk about, you know, the issue of gun control. We need to con- get you know, guns under control. And the other side's like, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And everyone's yelling. And I, I, every time that happens, I just sit back and I say, can we just for a minute, just for a minute, stop fighting about the issue and just grieve with the people who are hurting? What is wrong with us? We can't, we just run right past it. And look, I own a couple guns, okay, so I, I, I do, but I at least understand the people on the other side of the gun issue who say, you know, we need to have gun control in those moments because they could be sincerely grieving. They're like, I'm so frustrated to see senseless death. We need to do something to fix it. That's a, a natural grieving reaction. Like, let's stop saying thoughts and prayers and let's do something. So that could be sincere, or it could just be political, I don't know. But I never understand people running around saying, yelling in all caps locks, you know, you're trying to take my stuff away. And it's like, is this the time and the place to be throwing a tantrum? Can we just stop and care for people? But we don't. And the worst part, that's kind of a rabbit trail, but the worst part of that particular shooting was the conspiracy theories that came out of it. People began to say, you know, oh, it's a false flag. You know what that is? That's where someone does that who, uh, just to in, in, intentionally to pretend to be a, a bad guy so that they can use it to, you know, push the agenda of gun control. Or the other conspiracy theory was that it never happened. They're all paid actors pretending to lose family. And I just watched an interview recently or some interviews with some of the parents who lost a child all these years later. And you know what? Can you expect... 
it's no surprise, 10 years later, these parents are still, their life is wrecked. They lost a child. I mean, how do you get over that, right? How do you move past losing a child in a senseless act of shooting? Thinking about my child's last moments of life, how terrified were they? And they're just talking about how it has impacted their whole life still. But as they're talking about it, one of the things that some of them were saying was what made it extra hard to grieve were all the people sending them hateful letters and hateful messages and saying that they, they were faking it and it never happened and just dumping on them because, of course, they must have been because it has to be if it's challenging my more important issues, right? And, and the conspiracy theories that made it that much more painful. And sometimes they're trivial theories and sometimes they're heartbreaking like that. Don't even get me started on the rise of QAnon in the last five or so years. It's been insane. Um, from your Pizzagate guy charging into the shop with a gun to find the kids in the pedal ring in the basement of the place. I mean, just the craziness that happened. And all the, I, I study that whole thing deeply because people I care about were kind of looking into that stuff and caught up in it. So I looked at it. And this is a, it could deserve a whole hour topic. But conspiracy theories can get really radical. And before I sound too... Um, the bottom line is this. Conspiracy theories, they all come down to things that make us feel uncomfortable or weak or out of control. And so, in case they sound too harsh, because I'm going to kind of poke at our conspiracy-mindedness a little bit in light of the gospel in a while. Before I get there, again, these three categories, political, scientific, or um, end times, I want to say this. We all have a conspiracy theory on some level, don't we? I mean, so just, just let's all be human for a minute. So I don't talk about them because I think it's not a topic worth bringing up. But here's one, here's a, 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 something of mine. I have an idea that might be considered a conspiracy theory depending on how you define it. I'll just share it today because it's our topic today. I never talk about this kind of stuff. But I have this theory that a lot of people on both political extremes, and I don't mean congressmen or senators, although that could apply to them too. I mean media personalities. And I don't mean MSNBC or Fox, although that, could be, that actually does apply there too. But I also mean, also mean, bloggers and YouTube influencers and TikTok influencers and Twitter people who have built a following off of a political ideology, a lot of them don't believe all the stuff they peddle. I believe that on both sides. Like they, they had an ideology, they got outspoken about it, they're a good speaker so they got a following and they realized that you can't get a following in the middle trying to be reasonable. You got to go to the extremes on either direction and the more extreme you get, the more people who are angry and ready to throw their muscle and money behind it and th that's where the power's at. So I, I, so it's kind of unproven that some people who peddle certain ideas don't really practice that in real life. Some of that's been exposed a little bit, but I think it's more rampant. That it's all about fame or fortune for several people who just champion causes because they know the people like it. Now that's a conspiracy theory, right? I, never, I don't talk that way normally. I'm, I'm saying it now to say this. Don't we all have them somewhere? Mine's kind of a both sides thing, but some of us have them on one side of an aisle or the other. Some of us have them on other things. But I think that we all have some ideas about how it might be going down. However, some people are just consumed by conspiracy theories. And again, uh, in these categories, in, in modern politics, for example, modern politics in these technological times has given rise to us to find these tribes of people and... Um, Again, just to convince ourselves there's so many of us, even though it's probably a small sliver, and, and to feed this echo chamber we're stuck in. Have you ever noticed when it comes to those kind of conspiracies, political ones, that there's never a conspiracy on your side? The conspiracy is always on the other side. They're conspiring. You know, it's never on your side. You're, your, your side's good people, whatever side that is. It's good people. But the other side, you know, there's another conspiracies at. And, and by the way, if you notice that in, 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 the, in this particular arena, if it doesn't go our way, then the other side must have cheated. 
It's always that way. If it doesn't go my way, they must have cheated. We're kind of like sports fanatics. I, I grew up, I love sports. I'm a sports nut. And a, a lot of friends I watch sports with, some of them, are, my guys are here, uh, Jody, Tim, Eric, and others of us, Anthony in the back room. Uh, we watch a lot of sports. Many of you have watched sports with me from time to time, Super Bowl party people. And I've noticed something about sports fanatics. And that is that we all have our different teams. We always feel like it's against us, like the refs are against us. It's hard to beat the other team and the refs, you know. It's hard to beat the other team and the refs because it's always there on the other team's side. If you, some, of you, some of you non-sports people who, who are married to a sports person are probably going to roll your eyes like, I know, I've heard this a hundred times. They're always against my team. Even if the other team had more penalties called against them, we're still like, well, that's because they cheat. That's why they, have more, they deserve those penalties. But the few penalties that were called against my team were makeup calls. They're against me, I'm telling you, because we just have to believe the other side had to cheat somehow, you know, and we're just, it's easy to do. And that's, that's fanaticism, and usually that's pretty tame when it comes to sports, although some people have gotten beat up outside of sports venues, usually by people intoxicated. But, but nor, we've not, unfortunately normalized those unhealthy tendencies to permeate all parts of our lives, and the thing about people with conspiracy theories is you can't convince them otherwise. You just can't convince us otherwise, right? You um, go to somebody and say, well, you know, this, this, is, this is not how it is. And no, I don't believe it. So some, someone I, I care for deeply uh, and, you know, sent me a, a video link not long ago about a conspiracy where the elites are in control and the globally this is happening. And of course, I watched the video and he this person's very convinced that this is really happening. This, is, this, is, this, is, this, this video that was sent was so convincing in his eyes. But here's what I've learned about conspiracy theories. You aren't convinced. Your point of view is just confirmed. So because if you were convinced, well, it's not what it is. It's not that convincing. So I got the video, for example, this person sent. And, of course, you can see the edited sound bites. Clip this part of the conversation out. Take these few sentences out here. Mix these together. Throw this, oh, by the way, over here in the middle to kind of paint a story. And I showed it to a few friends, and we weren't convinced because it wasn't convincing. To the person who sent it, they weren't convinced. It was just that it confirmed their point of view. That's what happens with our confirmation bias. We see things, and it confirms what we already want to think. And if we have an agenda, the thing we're about, we think of how, it, how it is or how it should be, then we're ripe to have our point of view confirmed. And it's so hard to tell somebody because most people, if you say, hey, there's a conspiracy, they're like, well, I don't think there is, but show me the evidence. Not some weird connect the dots that don't connect goofy logic, but show me some evidence and I'll believe it. I want to know the truth. But when people who are steeped into conspiracy theories, when you say to them, here, here's someone that you trust, someone that you trust who debunks your conspiracy theory, you know what they say? Oh, no. They got to them too. They got to them too. Oh no. It goes, it's deeper than we thought. You know, it's always deeper. It just proves it's deeper than we thought. So I'm going to get personal because I like to put the jelly on the bottom shelf. And so I told you along the way if this sermon series will make some of, some of us mad at some point or the other. So politically, we've seen this in both political parties the last few years when it comes to complaining about election fraud. Several years ago, a governor in Georgia, Democratic ticket governor, ran and lost and said that she really won and was cheated. Last presidential election, Republicans said the same thing, some, some really strongly. But the crazy part is people who believed, they're like, oh man, they were throwing the votes away in the back room that weren't for their favor, and they were just throwing them away. And, and I'm like, have you ever, does anyone ever really know how the polls work, how the, how the, the system works, that there's literally both parties make sure 
that they have representatives from their party in the counting process so that won't happen. They're not going to let that fly. Both parties work hard to make sure that they have people from each side. And I know, but they got to them. <laughs> they got to them, too. It's deeper than you thought. You know, they, they, were, they were bamboozled. And then they didn't let there be observers. There's always observers. And they're always from both parties. You're like, yeah, but I saw a place where some observers were kept at, at, at bay from seeing what was being go- going on. You mean when a certain political party sends a whole bunch of people with an agenda in mind to harass the process? Yeah, they put people at bay. But oh no, I think it's a, it's a conspiracy. But the judges will straighten it out. And then the judges who were appointed by the losing party said, no, there's no evidence here. They got to the judges too. But the Supreme Court is in our favor. They'll fix the problem. And the Supreme Court says, no, there's nothing here. They got to them too. I can't believe it. Because that's how conspiracy-mindedness works. It goes deeper than we thought. And look, don't feel picked on. Both sides have done the exact same thing in the last few years on different levels. And it's just the world we live in nowadays. Because again, it's, it's like the bears and the colts, right? We couldn't have just lost. They cheated. And the refs are against us. And it's hard to beat them and their, and their paid refs. I mean, it's just how it goes. But it can be very ominous and turn into some dangerous things if we get crazy. Our conspiracy theories are often fueled by fear, which often presents itself as anger. Have you ever noticed through the years that people you know, are so angry about a conspiracy or about politics? And you're like, why are you so angry? Let me tell you why they're angry. They're afraid. They might say, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not scared. You're afraid. You're afraid of change. You're afraid of it not going your way. You're afraid of what might happen. You're afraid of what if. And fear can drive our emotions. And so instead, we grab conspiracies because our conspiracies can make us feel important and superior and special. But some of the people I know who are the deepest into some fringe conspiracy theories, whenever you read their stuff, it's always so cryptic. It's always so cryptic. It's like, you know, weird terms. And you're like, what does that say? And it's so cryptic, it's almost scary. Like, what does that mean? I'm, I'm a stupid. I don't know what that means, you know? And, and then they like, they say things ominously and watch out. And if you know, you know. If you know, you know. And it's like, oh, I don't know, you know? So it's just, it's, it's the superiority that comes with that. But here's the thing. The problem isn't all the crazy theories. Come on now. That's not the problem, right? They've been around forever. Before there was technology to kind of put fuel on the fire, we all remember growing up probably doing compassion or charity projects in our communities and finding that person out there who's kind of out there and he's like, oh, did you, they're watching. You know, they have some crazy things going on in his mind. And you're all like, okay. But now it's just everyone's connected. And now it's, it's a game. And now it's a contest. And now it's anger. And now it's fear. And now it's, what if, it's all going to come down to an end. But the problem is not all the crazy theories. Because here's the thing. People who believe in conspiracy theories really don't believe you can change it. They don't really believe, this is because they believe the, the, the cabal's too big or the Illuminati's too great or whatever. You can't really change it. It's just too big. They can say, well, we've we got to talk about it. We've got to cry out to stand up for ourselves. But if you really press them, they don't think it can really change. In fact, here's how you know. Because if you told them, hey, your outcries worked and the system was fixed and it's all been changed and it's good now, they'd be like, I don't know. They're probably faking us out. I'm sure they're faking us out, you know, because we got to believe it's, it's that bad when you're stuck in that mindset. So the problem is not the crazy theories. The real problem, especially for Jesus followers and people of faith, is when these things are eclipsing due to their hot-button status or their fringe cultishness. And we could be like, well, I'm about Jesus too. I talk about Jesus. Yeah, but that's the problem. We say, hey, look. And then we, we say these outlandish things and people are like, oh, that's what you're all about? And it kind of eclipses it kind of becomes what we're identified by, and it drowns out the rest of our message. Because here's the thing. It's one thing 
to ponder things, it's another thing to proclaim them. I just told you a silly, you know, both sides potential conspiracy theory I have. You know, just, be, just to make this sermon try to be relatable, I guess. The point is, is to talk about that stuff, to ponder, but then to proclaim it and to beat that drum. How does that help anybody? Usually, it's eclipsing, and here's the problem usually when we start proclaiming our theories that we should probably keep in our inside voice. The problem is we attack issues with no regard for the individuals. This ha- it's like the Sandy Hook families I mentioned earlier. People were so worried about the issues, they didn't care about how they were hurting the individuals in their all-caps-locks fights. And so we attack issues with no respect for individuals. For example, what happens is we are, some of our issues can lead to demonizing large groups of people. Everyone in the medical industry is, is trying to do this, and all the politicians are trying to do that. Some of, some of us, depending on your political alliance, you probably don't like when maybe, maybe you're pro-police. You don't like it when all the police get you know, broad-stroked as bad because of a few bad apples. Like, Don't put them all as bad or have some conspiracy theory. Maybe you feel the other way. I know what it's like to be in a profession where some bad apples make the whole thing look bad. But sometimes people run around and say, oh, the whole industry. And so we do it for politicians and medical people and all sorts of stuff. I know a church in our county, I know a church in our county has for years prided itself, prided itself in the fact that people who are in the medical profession or lawyers know they're not welcome in our church. Because we know they're part of the whole, you know, whatever they would call the cabal or whatever. They know. And I'm like, you're proud of that. You're known for that. It just really breaks my heart. But here's the thing. How crazy is that to demonize large groups of people? Did you ever think that people went to high school one time and said, I want to make a difference in my life and I want to get into the public service arena or I want to get into law or maybe politics, influence policy, or maybe I want to get into medical and make a difference? And then we're like, yeah, but then they, they got to them, you know? Because we have to do that to, to explain. Of course, when we say that they got to those people, like especially this medical stuff lately, it's all a big th- conspiracy to get us all sick and control us all. When we get into those mindsets, the problem is we don't really mean it. Right? Don't trust doctors. Except for these few doctors over here that support my thesis. In which case, trust these doctors. These doctors are great because they support my theory, but don't trust the rest of them. You know how you know if a doctor is trustworthy or part of the system? If they support my views. <laughs> That's how you know. And so we're crazy, Right? Because again, it's a conspiracy because it's driven by something. And again, you got to get to know people. You got to get to know people that you're throwing under the bus. Because I think it's one of the worst things we do. And it's bad. It's, it's bad if we do this without thinking about it, without knowing who we could be hurting, without knowing who could be reading our rants and saying, hey, that feels like a personal attack to me or my profession or my, my, my views. If we don't know we're doing that, that's bad. But if we know we're doing that, but we don't care, we don't care, bless God, well, that's really bad, isn't it? That's worse. So this is maybe a, considered a rabbit trail statement, but I want to say this for a couple minutes because I don't know when else to say something like this, but it needs to be said sometimes. Christian people, please, 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 please don't pit. Don't pit faith against science. This faith versus science. I hear that all the time from some Christian circles. I'm like, stop. Faith and science are not opposite views. It was people of faith who made early scientific breakthroughs hundreds of years ago to look at Scripture and say, oh, the world must be round even though people don't know that and they're afraid of that. We're going to trust the Bible. People of faith have always said, let's explore. Let's look into things. Let's look deeper. What's crazy is that in the recent decades, some people who reject faith have decided to use science to say, see, new discoveries must disprove faith and push faith as being contrary to science. 
which is not true. But then the people of faith sometimes, because they're afraid of the challenges, they embrace that. Well, I don't believe that. I'm a person of faith, not science. And I'm like, don't talk that way. Like, you know what science is? Science is the study of how God did what he did. It's how, the same how God created everything, the universe and the individual and how complex. And as we make new breakthroughs and discoveries, we're like, cool, that's what God did. That should be something that we embrace. That should be empowered by our faith, a deeper understanding of what God's been up to. Not something that we say, well, I don't know. It might challenge how I see things, so therefore I'm against it. We do that same with archaeology or with fresh perspectives on history. If it challenges something we think the way, is the way it is, we just dismiss it under the guise of faith, which is not true. Hey, being scared when things change or move just exposes that we're holding on to the wrong thing. Because truth is never shaken. I've said it before, truth can stand scrutiny. Look at all the hard stuff. Truth, God can stand, uh, he's in control. We can, he can withstand the scrutiny. God is never shaken. Truth is never shaken. The big problem with people of faith who are caught up in conspiracy theory mindedness, and again, I'm kind of hitting all these areas, political, scientific, uh, end times. The problem with it is, what happens when you're wrong? What happens when you have a big theory about what's going to happen or not going to happen, and then you're wrong? I'm going to tell you what happens to us. We lose, you lose credibility. And then you have to hope that no one noticed or that no one cares. Because otherwise, if they noticed and you lost credibility, they're going to say, what else do you lack credibility about? God? What else do you lack credibility about? The Bible? Faith? So here's an example i got to give you. 27 years ago, we were all looking forward to 2000, and remember Y2K. Some of you are younger than that, so you don't remember Y2K. Some of us remember it very well. It was the big thing, because the computers apparently weren't programmed to be able to flip the switch into 2000, so some people believed it was going to like shut everything down, we're going to go backwards. Some people believed it would wipe out med- uh, financial records and kind of put us into a big global depression that would, we would never recover from. Others believed the power would go out, we'd be walking around in, in, in some kind of dystopian darkness. Others believed it was even more that that, that was the, the cover under which they were gonna, the UN was going to launch martial law into our streets and they'd be walking down the streets with soldiers taking over our neighborhoods. I heard it all. And we had a family come by uh, from a different, different church to my house because they knew we were pastor's family. They were really distressed that we weren't taking it more seriously. I'm like, well, we have supplies in case there's a winter storm to get through a blizzard to have supplies in the house. Like, no, you got to be ready. Y2K's coming. They brought a big box of survival goods. They had silver tablets. Take these silver tablets. Okay, thank you. And then I was at my alma mater at Bible college coming out of, and I saw some guy in the parking lot who was older than me. And he's like, are you ready for Y2K? Yeah, sure. And he berated me. He was upset with me that I wasn't taking it seriously. He's like, man, he had, just, he had just bought some land in either Wyoming or Idaho, was building a bunker, and he was ready. And he was like, you gotta be ready. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and he was just so upset. And so and we had a guy in our church who was in the IT business, computers, and he was like, oh, here it comes, you know. And so I sat with my leaders and I said, guys, what do we think about this? And the first thing we thought was this. If it all goes down, We'll just trust God to take care of us. By the way, I want to say this to you. If, it all go, if the apocalypse starts and you're the only person in your block who is smart enough to have all the food stored up and all your neighbors are starving, as soon as they figure out that you have all the food stored up and they're starving, they're going to come get your food and they're going to have guns too and they're going to probably kill you. It's, you're in trouble anyhow is all I'm saying, okay? Just a thought. But, um, you know, the, um, 
we said, well, trust God if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, we don't want to have egg on our face by believing in some kind of crazy thing. But others were like, oh, no, Y2K. And then Y2K happened. And you know what happened, don't you? Nothing. And then some people had egg on their face. They got real quiet for a while. Real quiet. And I'm not mocking them because I could have easily been me. You all get caught up in the things. I'm just learning a lesson from, from what happened so a few years ago, I know a man who's in the public service industry. That's all I'll say in case I don't want to make a connection or, and sound critical of somebody I care about. But it's someone I, I know who's in public service, good person, and they had walked away from faith in their adulthood, walked away from it because they just, they just did. And now, years later, they were kind of looking back in at faith, but their introduction back into faith was to find some preacher out there who was pushing that it was all, the world was coming to an end that September or October. I can't remember which, which month it was, but it was pretty much that, that month. It was all coming to an end. And they, it was a mixture of conspiracy theories and politics mixed with numerology. Always worry about numerology. This number in the Bible with that number over here equals this magical number here. And they're doing numerology. And then they was doing some kind of uh, prophetic stuff. And it was all coming to an end. And this person was coming to me saying, you know, I'm, you're a pastor, and what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. Oh, you need to watch this YouTube video. Okay. And it didn't happen. And it broke my heart because I thought to myself, that man, a good man, who walked away from faith and years later was looking back in, that's what he found. And when it proved to be incredible and untrue, what's he left with? That faith is a joke? And I'm like, that's not what faith is about. That's just some fringe, weird religious stuff mixed with a lot of other stuff. But what does that person do? It just breaks my heart. What happens when we're wrong? Which brings up the big issue of the church. And that is that part of our holy sacred book, it includes apocalyptic literature, right? I mean, we have Daniel in the Old Testament and the Christian scriptures out of Revelation. And so, you know, it's all coming to an end one day and the rapture and there's a tribulation period and Antichrist, Mark of the Beast. Some of you are familiar with, with a lot of Revelation's uh, studies. Some of you are not. And the danger is this. It's fine. Some people love it. Some people get in, nerd out about it like others do other things. Others people don't care for it at all. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is oftentimes it ends up, we interpret revelations in the Bible through our current world landscape. Because if this is what I see in my world landscape, that's how I interpret revelations or Bible, Bible literature like that. Which is the same thing that people could have done 100 years ago in a different way. People could have interpreted it a different way 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago. And, and so we always look at it through the landscape of what we're currently going through. And people made some really dumb assertions. Jesus is coming back on this date. Then it's wrong. Oh, I was off by a few numbers. I didn't carry the one. That's what happened. I didn't carry the one. Um, he said, like, this date instead. And then it just looks incredible. What are you talking about? And, and it really gets weird because at some point, you know, I remember growing up in church and people were all just trying to read Revelation and the Antichrist. And so I remember being young enough to remember that people who were in church, I was listening to their voices talk about how that John F. Kennedy was probably the, the Antichrist because in Revelations it said that he has a deadly head wound and he, he was assassinated, the headshot, he's going to come back and he's going to be the Antichrist. They still believe that. Then other people at the time believed it was Mikhail Gorbachev. Remember him? Because he had that kind of that mark on his head, so that was the, that was the sign. Other people in the 90s in church believed it was Bill or Hillary Clinton. People still believe that today in some churches, I think. I don't know. Anyhow, um, it's always, this, it's always in, you know, then it's the mark of the beast. It's always something with technology. I remember an evangelist coming by in the early days of the internet, berating us for trying to use internet to get our message out. He said, don't trust that man. It's the mark of the beast. Bible says this over here. Bible says that over here. Reading some Bible verses. Reading Bible verses through the filter 
of how he saw change in the world and technology. Of course, years later, next thing you know, he's using the internet to market his stuff too, but once he realized, oh, okay. Then, of course, the debit cards came out with chips in them. Oh, man, that's first on the cards, then under your skin, here it comes. You know, now it's the COVID vaccine. Oh, the mark of the beast, man, you're getting the, you're getting the mark of the beast on you. It's like, real, by the way, if, you, if you're going to look at Revelations with the mark of the beast, let me just say this to you. Read the passage. People who intentionally, for the sake of survival or whatever, reject Christ openly and, and choose to worship the beast in order to do whatever. That's the Revelations part that you can read. It's not some Christian people of faith who love the Lord who accidentally adopted the wrong technology and now they got unsaved and they're in trouble. That's not how that works. But that's how some people want to believe. Oh man, if you don't, if you don't see it the way I see it in the world today, you're swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. And it's because we interpret these things, and we're ripe for it. We've been waiting for, you know, the one world government ecumenical movement to ruin the whole thing all the time. And, and, and some of you are like, well, I'm upset that you're saying this, Arlen. I've been doing this for so many decades, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've watched people walk away from this whole thing we're telling people about because of that kind of talk that proved to just evolve and change and we forget our past misgivings. It's just people are like, I don't know. Because we just keep wrongfully handling the scriptures. Anti-tech or fear of change or advancement is not the way to approach the Bible. And we've embarrassed ourselves so many times, but we never learn. So many times. I always want to ask people, when do we stop trusting bad players? So let me give you another story. Someone I love a lot, and that's all. Again, I'm, not, I'm careful how I say things because I have a lot of people I love. Someone I love a lot, very dearly, a couple of years ago sent a video to me. They were worked up. It was, 20, it was 2021 after the election and then all the brouhaha in Washington, D.C. They sent me a video saying, oh, man, this person. And there's a couple different links, and they're like, I've heard this from several people. Arlen, check out this information. What do you think? So I read this information, and this person was telling this whole narrative about how, oh man, this is all part of the takeover. And right now, I have someone on the inside who knows someone on the inside, and they've lined the East Coast and the West Coast with warships right now, and we don't know. The guns are pointed inland, and the fifth column is rising. And I'm like, the fifth column? What does that mean? You know, if you know, you know. You know, that's how that goes. So, you know, it's all happening, and it's going bad, and all this cryptic stuff. And, and this person I care about was like, what do you think? And I'm like, man. So I decided to research the person who was peddling this terrible crisis everyone's freaking out about. And I found the same author, same person, four years earlier in 2017, lo and behold, wrote a big old thing at the time that after Obama finished his term and Trump became president, that, that there was a plot and people, he knew someone who was on the inside who knew somebody who knew that uh, President, uh, former President Obama had arranged with the, the, the elite to have a 37 governors assassinated that very next couple of weeks. They're being assassinated, they're taking over the whole country through assassination. And the fifth column, there it was again, fifth column was going to rise. And if you knew, you knew. I'm like, well, that didn't happen. And I look back a little further, and in 2012, they had some other crazy idea going on. And it's like, and, and every time people got worked up for a, a bunch of brouhaha, and then nothing happened. And then they're still around. Why does someone not say, hey, no, 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 you sit down. I'm not listening to you anymore. Sit down. But, but it just keeps perpetuating itself and causing new fear. And here's what I want to say. we gotta, we got to vet things better. So when you hear conspiracy theory, this, this might be a short statement, but maybe one of the most important things I'll say on this topic before we get to the scripture. 
When it comes to conspiracy theories, we need to look back. That means at someone's track record. If they don't have one, then hold your confidence in them. If they have a bad one, then be done with that. Look back, and we need to scrutinize. Here's the scrutinize. What are they selling? Every time I see a conspiracy person out there, they're always selling merch. Here's what's going on. Buy my sweatshirt. This particular person that had the whole fifth column thing going on in 2021 and 2017 and whatever else, Atlanta said that has never happened yet. They also happened to be selling survival kits, better than you could build for yourself at Walmart. They had survival kits and their silver tablets or whatever, you know. Look back at their track record, scrutinize what are they selling, and then zoom out. When I say zoom out, please think about this. What's the worst case scenario? If your conspiracy theory, come, if, if that is the end game, if that happens, if your theory is true, what's, what's, what's the worst case scenario? That someone takes over the world? Like has happened for most of human history? Like it was in Jesus' day when literally Caesar from Rome took over the known world, the, the Eastern world, and controlled nations? Like Jesus and his, the early church, they lived under someone taking over their world. It wasn't like a theory that it could happen if the bad guys win. It happened. And Jesus never spent his time trying to undo it. He just said, this is the sandbox we're playing in. I'm going to step into it to heal sick people, feed hungry people, help people, point them to God's love, and push people to the message that I am here to show that God wants you back more than God wants you to pay. So God is paying for you. And he went to the cross and died for our sins to show us forgiveness and rose again to give us eternal life. He spent his life doing that instead of fixing the evil powers that be. Because he knew that if we could get connected with God and be people of faith, it could change everything for us and the world. But we've lost our way. So what's the worst case scenario? Someone takes over the world? They already have or they do or they can? The New Testament ethos would say this. So what? What does that have to do with our message? This world wasn't the point anyway. It's not my home. We're passing through. I want to ask us a question that Jesus often asks, so I feel like I could probably quote him here. Why are we, why are you worried and fearful and angry? Because you don't know, I know, trust me, someone is in the know, if you know, you know. Why are you worried or fearful or angry? There's a story in the Old Testament about a prophet named Elisha who was, who was um, somehow the king of Syria believed this prophet Elisha was ruining, it was a threat to his national security. So he had the plan to send an army of sol- a bunch of soldiers to the guy's town and surround Elisha's house and have him executed. And when they woke up the next morning, Elisha and his young servant, they kind of realized they were surrounded. And the story picks up in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah, right? He's like, oh, no, we're in trouble. He's worried. Fearful, perhaps even angry. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And this guy's like, Elisha, what are you talking about, man? What have you been sipping in your morning coffee here, buddy? Uh, There are two of us. There's a whole bunch of them. We're in trouble. 
And Elisha prayed, verse 17, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Then the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire, referring to an angel army. In other words, God, God's not just somewhere, yeah, far away, but we're in trouble down here. God's here. He's here. And sometimes when I watch people who are so fearful or worried or angry about how they think the world's going and what's happening and who's cheating and whatever else is going on, I'm like, guys, I'm like, Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. We can see who you are. I want to promote to you today that there is an ultimate conspiracy theory. You're like, I knew it. Arlen's going to spill the beans. Yep, here goes. There is an ultimate conspiracy theory. You heard it here first. Breaking news. Take it to the press. There's an ultimate conspiracy theory. There's a force unseen. And it's one with an agenda. Shh. They have an agenda. One that's working behind the scenes. It's God. It's God. And he's in control. He's in control. And he's got a master plan, an agenda that's bigger than our earthly ones. I love how in Colossians chapter 1, talking about Jesus, Paul wrote this. He said, for through him, through Jesus, through him, God, made every, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world, things we can see, things we can't see. And he says all of it, everything was created through him and for him. That, 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 listen, it's really time that, that people of faith believed once again in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. It's time that we believed again, not that select sovereignty that God picks favorites or whatever, but this idea that God's in control of everything. That he's bigger than it all. That he's playing another level. There's your ultimate conspiracy theory. Someone's behind it all. Someone's bigger than everything. There's a master plot bigger than we can take down. Isaiah 14, 24 says this. The Lord of heaven's armies has sworn this oath. He says, it will all happen as I have planned. It will be as I have decided. And that means that when something doesn't go the way you want it to, you can't say, well, when my team wins, God's in because God, God put them in there, God's in control. When the other side seems to prevail, they must have bamboozled God. God got schnookered by the system, you know. God was in control until it didn't work out our way. No, no, no. Just step back and say, hey, God's got this. Something bigger than all that's going on in the world. I can trust him. Here's the big issue. Here's the big issue. We have decided, when you became a believer, got baptized, Call yourself a Jesus follower, followed him, and you've let the world know through Facebook or through your friend circles or through at work that you are a believer. We've told the world that we are following Christ. And basically, we've told them that they can see Jesus in us because we're following him. They can see Jesus in us, right? That's what we've told the world. And here's the problem they've believed us. Like, okay, fine. You say that I can see Jesus through you, I'll take you at your word. I'll take you at your word. I'm going to hang on tight because everyone's looking around right now. God bless. They don't do that. So people have said, okay, Christians, you told us that we can see Jesus in you. I'll bite. Show me Jesus. 
And we have turned around and shown them that Jesus equals whatever issue we're worked up about. Look at me and you can see the Lord because I follow him. Okay, show me the Lord. Oh man, it's all going bad. <laughs> Don't you know what's going to happen? This is all going. That's what we've shown them. Look at me for to see Jesus and then watch me freak out. Look at me to see Jesus and then watch me be angry and tear down half the people in the world that I don't agree with or I mean, white throw groups of people under the bus and, and, and literally live stressed and worried and angry. But, but look at me to see Jesus. And the world's like, okay, I see you're Jesus and I'm not interested. Don't you think we've lost our way? Let's demonstrate that we are people of faith that actually believe that God is in control. Here's a verse that you probably have written down on a pillow or on a wall if you've been around church a while, or you ought to write it down. It's a great verse. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that God causes everything, yes, those things too, everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Do we believe that? In light of that, I want to encourage us today to stop worrying about what God, how God is going to do what he has promised to do. Stop worrying about how God is going to do what he has promised to do and start doing what God has told you to do and told me to do. And what has he told us to do? Well, we've been studying it in this series. He told us to be the moon. Stop worrying about how he's going to do his job and start doing what he called us to do. God does not need us to be the, back, the spouse in the passenger seat, whichever spouse in your house does this, that helps you drive. Oh, be careful, slow down, turn. Uh. Stop worrying about how God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And start doing what God told us to do. Let's be the moon. Let's show the world that we have faith. What does the song say earlier? He's on my firm, again saying, God's my firm foundation and I will not be shaken. Is that a song we sing or a life we believe and live by? Phil will close this out later on with, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Are we looking for the Lord's return? Yes. Is there some things in the Bible that kind of give us some hints? Sure. But we're not supposed to be running around saying, you know, pay attention, he's coming. No, we're supposed to be saying, I'm rejoicing in his appearance. I want him to come. Even so come. Because we have hope. We have got good news in the meantime. We're sharing good news. We are excited and hopeful and positive that our gospel means that God, who is love, so loved us to redeem us, and he is reaching out to all people. Let's spread that good news. Let's spread that hope. Let's be the moon. Closing passage, and I'm done. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says to Timothy, this is good and pleases God our Savior. Here comes. He's going to tell us the ultimate conspiracy theory. Ready? Here's God's agenda. The master plan who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. What God is all about, his agenda, is for all people to hear his message of love and his salvation and the gospel and to be saved and to understand the truth. What truth? He explains. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, and that is the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And this, this is the message that God gave to this world at just the right time. And this, by the way, is the message that we as Jesus followers in 2022 need to believe once again. This needs to be our center again. This needs to be ground zero again. So as I wrap this up today, taking different angles on different things that we let, 
Next week, we've got two to go. We're almost done. We'll take on another area where we've let the good news of the gospel be eclipsed. And today we talked about some of our radical fear-based worry and frets and don't you know, conspiracy-mindedness. Here's what I want to say to you. Let's not let our message be eclipsed. If anyone out there needs to see God's light and they're in the dark, reflect his message, reflect who he is, reflect his love, reflect his good news. And if, they can, if they're looking to see him, if they, if they can be facing him, don't get in the way. Don't be that force that seems closer to them that they look to and say, oh, you're a God person. And then we show them our dark side. We show them our dark side, the dark side of the moon. We show them our faithless side, our fearful, worried side, our angry side. That's what eclipses our message. We have a better message.